HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're foraging. From Prospect Park to an iPhone app, what does it mean to find our own food? We've recorded, I think, over 1,300 species of fungi occurring in New York City. You know, my ingredients are making themselves, and so that rather than having the stress of needing to source the things I need, I can just walk out my back door and I can have them. Foraging overall is born out of living with the land and with the seasons by indigenous people. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, June 22nd, 2021, and we're recording remotely. Um, we've been talking a lot about brewing systems and, and just everything that it, that it takes to, to make a, a brewery not only operate, but thrive and grow. And um, we've got an interesting conversation today with some fr- friendly guests from upstate in New York. Uh, let's go around the room and introduce yourselves. Let's start with Scott. Uh, I'm Scott Veltman. I am the head brewer at Indian Ladder Farm Cidery and Brewery up in Altamont, New York. Great. Dieter? I'm one of the owners, uh, Dietrich Gering, of Indian Ladder Farm Cidery and Brewery in Altamont, New York. And Melanie? Hi, Melanie Fraunhofer with Fraunhofer Design. All right. So we've had you, I've had you all on the show before, but not too long ago, uh, I learned that you guys had uh, built a new brewing system. You've been talking about it for several years and you were able to, to expand. And what was interesting is that you worked with Fraunhofer Design. So we're, we're going to do a little backstory on Fraunhofer Design. We first met Melanie um, when after Common Roots had had its fire um, and, and you guys were instrumental in helping them get back open a couple years ago. Um, so Melanie, give us the backstory on Fraunhofer. The, there was a, your father or grandfather, it was a machine shop. And what does a machine shop actually make? Yeah, so uh, 40 plus years ago, my dad started a small machine shop in our basement. And it has grown into a, you know, a large facility in, here in upstate New York with our own water jet facility, fabrication shop, and machine shop. Um, 
and we, it's a job shop. So nothing's ever the same. It's not a production facility. It's, um, a lot of different jobs coming in and out every day. Uh, we do a lot of work in the pulp and paper industry and that was sort of our bread and butter. Um, still is to be honest with you. Um, and about six years ago, we were approached to, because of our um, experience with stainless steel, we were approached to look at some craft brewing uh, tanks, fermenters actually. And from there, some light bulbs went off and we've, Fraunhofer Design became another arm of our Fraunhofer tool, our parent company, the machine shop. And it's kind of taken on its a life of its own and become a pretty amazing second part of our company where we get to express our engineering work, um, our design work, and a lot more, I would say a lot more fun jobs uh, working in the craft brewing industry. Wow. And then uh, Dieter, let's give us some background on how long have you been planning to build this brewery? A little backstory on it. Um, I think that we started discussing uh, building a bigger brewery about nine, eight years, eight, nine years ago, and uh, started looking for somebody to build us uh, at the time, um, what we thought would be a, a pretty big brewery for our little farm uh, would be a three barrel. And we were looking for somebody who uh, we, we didn't want direct fire. Um, and we didn't want uh, an electric brewery that had the rods in it. We were looking for something that would mimic a larger scale brewery. And uh, that's where we came across Fraunhofer because they were making this great little system called the Traveler. And then, Scott, what, what was your role in this? Because I know, how long have you worked at Indian Ladder? Uh, so I've been working at Indian Ladder for just a little over three years. Uh, my original goal is, well, Dieter's plan was to be uh, – 100% New York State. So I thought, hey, why not we use uh, New York State made equipment? So we looked at another uh, New York State manufacturer, and they were a little little bit out of our price range, and uh, customer service wasn't there. And then I actually got in contact with um, Christian Weber uh, from Common Roots, and he was using Fraunhofer stuff. So got in contact with him. Uh he said, go take a look at uh, the place up in Argyle because they also have Fraunhofer equipment as well. And uh, next thing you know, we're working with Mel and and uh, just only dealing with Fraunhofer. We, the biggest thing for me is the quality. And uh, it's very easy uh, if I have any issues with any problem, like with anything with the equipment, um, they'll answer a phone. Uh, they'll answer a phone call or, you know, they'll be down at our place in less than an hour, which is great. Yeah. And Melanie, what's the design process like? I mean, I noticed on your website you have design engineers. Um, not, and not only are the brew systems, what are some other systems that, that you guys are making? Oh, yeah. Um, we, at the core of everything, we are a design and engineering firm. So 90 plus percent of our work is in the craft beverage industry, but we every now and then um, our engineers get an odd job that comes across their desk for something and, you know, um, in a completely different industry, uh, we did some work for a cheese farm, um, yogurt, uh, a yogurt piece of yogurt equipment. We work with different dairies throughout New York state, um, or even still some work, um, in more like large manufacturing facilities. Um, so our engineers can do anything. Um, but 
they have a lot of fun with our craft brewing projects and the design process is long and, uh, but really creative. And I think our time with Dietrich and Scott, uh, we spent, you guys, am I exaggerating when I say two years designing this system? (laughs) I believe that's no exaggeration (laughs) though. Yeah. So it's really, it's, it's great because something that's unique about Fraunhofer design is that nothing is off the shelf. So you can come to us and say, I only have, you know, you have to get my system in through an office sized, a standard office sized door, figure it out, Mel and team. Um, or, you know, we are on a farm in this beautiful restored barn with a dome shaped roof, which is the Indian ladder example. Um, and we're going to try and fit a canning line, a three barrel system and a 20 barrel system in X amount of square feet, make it work. And so nothing is off the shelf. Nothing is standard. When it comes to working with Fraunhofer Design, we take your blueprints, we take your ideas, we take your, not just your facility, but also your brewing style, your operational needs. So in this case, Scott's um, preferences and Dietrich's preferences of how things are going to look and operate. And we build a system custom to you and your brewery. You know, I, I don't really see why you would ever buy off besides budget. And, you know, it's not always going to work out for you in the long run um, to buy something that's standard because nobody brews the same, no facility is the same. So you might as well get something that's made just for you. And with that comes a pretty long, not always, but in this case, long uh, design process to make something perfect for their needs at Indian Ladder. And Scott Dietrich, their general contractors and my engineers work really closely together. um, And in the end came out with this beautiful final product that hopefully We'll live in that space for years to come. That's great. And so Dietrich and then Scott, what were you guys looking for uh, with, with your brew system? I know that you had worked on a really small system for years, and I know the plan had been to expand your capacity. Yeah, well, we uh, once we discovered that, you know, we wanted something bigger and we were only going to go to, you know, we were thinking, oh, three barrels would be great. We quickly realized uh, that three barrels was not going to even be enough. Um, and uh, Fraunhofer uh, was offering this uh, this great opportunity, we thought, where we could get into the three barrel very quickly um, and put it in our you know tiny production facility. And we could be using that while they were designing and building our 20 barrel system. And, um, and then there was the idea in the beginning, I believe, that we would probably sell this three barrel back to Fraunhofer and they would refurbish it and sell it to somebody else. Um, But along the way here, we've decided that, well, the three barrel is actually a pretty fabulous little system. Um, I think Scott will agree because it does mimic a larger system. And um, we've decided to, to keep it as a pilot brewery and to do experimental beers and to, you know, one-offs and like that, that you don't necessarily want to make 20 barrels of. Yeah. Scott. Yeah. I, honestly, I love, I love having uh, this little three barrel system. Uh, yeah. It, it keeps everything fresh, you know, <laughs> keeps everything fresh, but it, it's, it is great to have the small system and the big system because if I have the big system, all that product can go into uh, out for wholesale and 
and basically just a lot of packaging stuff. But for the smaller system, I can, you know, make a pickle sour beer or make a beer with blue green algae and uh, just kind of have fun with it. So what were you looking for in the, in the big system? Uh, pretty much the, like the ease. Um, and, uh, so that way I wanted to have, uh, my mash ton and louder ton completely separate. Uh, the idea with that is once I'm done mashing in and I run off to the louder ton, uh, if I don't go directly to the kettle, if I already have a beer going in there, I can actually, um, move it to the mash ton and use that as like a holding tank and possibly even like preheat a little bit in there just so when, I'm done blasting out the kettle and the wort line. I can just transfer that over the um, the kettle and then just start up with the new brew. So I, I grew up, you know, doing a lot of production brewery work. So, <laughs> and, and part of like what Mal was saying before about why you wouldn't buy something just standard off the shelf, you know, for us, we've made, you know, along the way in this process, two year process, we've made a lot of modifications to the system to fit our building. And, you know, it's given us time to think about it for, you know, things that a lot of breweries don't think about um, until it's way too late, like grain out. Um, you know, we have, we, we've got an automatic grain out, which is, you know, going to be fabulous time saver and back saver and, and all those things. And, you know, just recently, you know, we made a modification, you know, just like two weeks before delivery on the fermenters, that we discovered is going to save us a lot because we, we are on, you know, we're on a farm here. And so we have to be conscious of, you know, where our waste is going and so on. We're not going to a municipal waste system. So we were able to make some modifications in that, that, uh, you know, were kind of last minute changes, but, you know, working with Fraunhofer was great. And they were like, Oh yeah, we can do that without any, you know, without any problem. It'll, you know, it's going to take us you know, a couple of days, but it's, it worked out great. Yeah. And Melanie, back to the backstory. So, well, first, wait, Scott, what beer are you making more of now on the 20 barrel system? And perhaps you might be drinking it too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we actually haven't had the 20 barrel system up and running yet. Uh, we just took delivery of our two 60 barrel fermenters and our uh, 30 barrel bright tank. And at this rate, it looks like the end of July I'll be brewing on that. Um, but right now, I'm actually enjoying a uh, freshly canned up 1974 Coudador. It's just like a American light lager. And it was actually canned on a uh, Fraunhofer canning line. <laughs> Wait, what do you call it? 1974 Coudador? Coudador. Is that one of your okay. beers? That is one of our beers. It's uh, Dieter knows more of a story with the whole Coudador thing. <laughs> and and so, Maybe you should tell me about some of your beers since uh, I haven't had it. I only had last time I had it was at the Brisket King event in uh, April in New York. I try to blame Scott for oh, all right. the beer names, I, but this one is actually mine. I'm afraid. So uh, it, it, it's a it's a kind of a stupid story, but somebody, a friend of mine, as a joke, sent me a little ad out of the Wanna Digest for sale, one nineteen seventy four Coudador for one hundred and fifty dollars. Um, and I wish I'd bought it because now we're trying to find a 1974 coup de door to hang on the wall. And now it turns out they're very valuable. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the beer? What's the beer like? Oh, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's a, uh, it just reminds you of a beer that you drink in 1974. It's just a very light lager. Uh, there's just pretty much just Pilsner malt and 
just a little bit of our uh, our grown uh, nugget hops just for bittering. So it's about uh, 5.2%. And uh, yeah, just very easy drinking and something you just want to hang out with in the summertime, especially a couple days ago. It was, uh, or actually yesterday, it was over 90 and really humid. So I kind of wish we were canning up that day. Yeah. And Dieter, I think it was like the summer of 2015 or 16. I, I was with you when you guys were um, harvesting like one of your first grain harvests. Um, yeah, that was probably our, that was probably our third year on barley. Um, we have, uh, we have not been growing any barley the last couple of years um, due to the problems that you saw <laughs> when you were here. Um, we're waiting for New York State um, and Cornell to come up with a, a variety of barley that we can handle here in this climate. So we've been buying, you know, our barley locally. We are still growing some oats um, and uh, some rye and stuff to put in our beer. Uh, but we will be getting back to the barley game here probably, um, maybe not next year, but the following year, because we want to uh, get into a better grain handling system here on the farm. Um, so we've been concentrating really hard on uh, hops and improving the quality of our hops and adding some new varieties and eliminating some of the ones that are not really great for us. Uh, so our hop yields have, due to, due to that um, focus, our hop yields have gone up and our, our oil content and quality has gone way up. Wow. What, what are the hops that, that have really been working for you? And then, uh, Scott, what, what is it like working with those hops? Well, we uh, we're we're sort of we're uh, we're proving that the, the terroir here is really making um, for different oil contents on on hops that are very traditionally grown out west. Uh, I think Scott will agree. Right now, one of our our most favorite hops is Brewer's Gold, which is kind of a you know a forgotten hop uh, from you know the, like the 1970s, um, and for us. It, you know, it even to replace it, like if Scott runs out or something, um, if we use West Coast Brewers Gold, the oil content is not anything like we're going to find. In fact, Scott's with our hop, our hop varieties at this point, Scott's kind of given up on the names and uh, just just goes by, you know, the um, the analysis that we get uh, in order to make beer. So using a uh, brewer's gold is definitely very, very interesting because it has all the stuff that people are looking for with, with New England IPAs with, you know, the super tropical and tangerine and peach kind of aromas and flavors. And we can actually get that with brewer's gold. Um, one of my favorite ones that we have right now uh, is Columbus. Columbus uh, never grew well for us. Um, this one has like a huge, like a high mercine content. So it's very old school with the, with that Columbus, it's like that onion that you would get out of there. It was just, it's so nice and it blends really nice with all, uh, let's see what else is a good one that I like to use, uh, with Columbus, um, nugget Our nugget is really nice. Um, Helderberg. Um, I realized this year's Helderberg isn't what it should be. Uh, just because how the growing season was, uh, but that is something to really nice uh, blend blend in with uh, that Brewer's Gold, 
because uh, you get like a little bit of that pineapple you get from Helderberg with that like tangerine of Brewer's Gold, which is just phenomenal. I'll just use those hops all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, is is there a hoppy a hoppy beer that you know you're going to make in the twenty barrel system? Uh, probably Superstar. Superstar IPA is one of our flagship beers. Um, that one mostly focuses on using um, Columbus, Chinook, and Brewers Gold. And how are you? How are, so you are, you have a plan? I mean, you you probably have a sense of some of the first beers you're going to brew on the twenty barrel system. Absolutely, yeah. I, I want to mostly just focus on the core beer, so people in the, down in your neck of the woods uh, can actually try our beers. They've they've tried our ciders for years, and they've always wanted to have our beers, but we just can't give it to them because we pretty much run out at the uh, at the farm, and yeah, we're brewing about two three times a week. So it'll be nice to have the twenty barrel up, uh, so that way we can do our core beers and get people an idea it's like oh this is what indian ladder farms does like i need to go up there and check these guys out they have they have other stuff they have a whole sour beer project that is very very limited and damn delicious (laughs) and Dieter, um you know i know over the years as you've been waiting to, to put in this bigger brewery you've done a lot of collaborations with some breweries in new york city you've provided hops to some of those collabs Oh yeah, yeah. We've done. Uh, you we've, give us a give us a snap snapshot of some of your favorites. Uh, well, I think one of our favorites was uh, was Creature Comforts. Um, we made this uh, fantastic barrel aged sour beer with them, and we shipped uh, we shipped our uh, malted barley down there and our hops, and uh, we shipped fruit down there from the farm. I mean, we I. I can't remember what the shipping costs on all of that was, but then we all flew down there and had, had a, uh, they were fabulous hosts and we had a, a great time. Um, so that was uh, probably one of the more memorable ones. Um, but, you know, locally we've done uh, quite a few. Uh, we just recently did one with, uh, with Kevin at rare form. Um, and uh, it's, you know, we try to, we try to make them as fun as possible. Um, we're starting to do some um, non-beer collaborations um, with uh, just to try to mix it up a little bit. So, like we're uh, doing a collaboration with Rad Soap. Um, we've done a, a music collaboration with Ritz Carlton, um, and uh, those are those are great things. It's great for cross marketing. Uh, for us and for you know the people we're collaborating with uh, so you know we get to uh, reach uh, reach people that may not you know know about Indian ladder farms and they get to reach people that uh, may not know about their products Dieter uh, I want to ask you a question um, you know you've you've been a cidery and and a brewery almost since the beginning and I know that you've sourced a lot of the, the apples for your cider on, on site um, how is this going to change things? Are, are there are there going to be parts of the equipment that you'll be using w- with cider? Because um, I still think of you as both equally. It says Indian Ladder Farm cidery and brewery. I don't know if um, Scott first you want to tackle that about this identity that you guys have because I love it. You show up at an event, you've got cider and beer, and they're they're both great. Absolutely, yeah. 
Well, you have to think about it, too. Sometimes uh, brewers get tired of drinking beer all the time, as weird as that sounds. They want to try something a little different. And uh, Dieter's vision when he when he started doing cider, he wanted to make cider for the beer drinker. So his goal was not to have cider that was super, super sweet. He wanted to have more of the drier, more tart ciders, which I think uh, uh, he has a great vision on that. And Alex is really good at pushing that forward. Basically, when we moved the three-barrel system out of the production space that it was in, we, we were cider and beer in that same production space. So now we're separated. So one one building is is for cider production and the other is for beer production. Um, so they, they both have their own homes now and, uh, and have a pretty equal footing um, as far as production goes. In, in the beginning, did you have to brew beer on one day and cider on another was wasn't there some quirky uh licensing issue in the early days yes there was we we could we could uh, uh well they didn't understand that you don't really brew cider cider is more like making wine you it's blending so it was kind of a hard thing to you know wrap our heads around so we, you know, we could only blend cider one day, and then after a 24-hour period, we were allowed to brew beer. So, you know, it it was an odd thing. <laughs> but we don't have to worry about that anymore because we're not in the same building. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So I just want to go back to Melanie. Um, Melanie, I still find it fascinating that your, your dad had the machine shop. At one time, we talked about the importance of trades and trade schools. Can, can you tell us a little bit about your dad's background? Absolutely. And you're right. We did have this conversation the last time I was on and we're still a big proponent of vocational school and, and the trades. Uh, my dad, um, did not go, does not have a, a formal four year college education. He, after graduating high school, um, and going through a machining program in high school, went to, um, right to work in a machine shop and, uh, worked at night, um, so that he could, or excuse me, went to school at night and um, does have a machining degree that he put himself through at, at night. Um, but ever since then, you know, years after my dad got our Fraunhofer tool, our parent company up and running, um, he has really made an effort to work closely with our local vocational school, which is BOCES um, here in New York, and keep their machining program um, or any of their trade programs um, alive and well. He was on the board of our local BOCES. And, um, you know, we always are trying to collaborate with them, bring their students in for internships in our shop. Um, same thing, you know, at the on the design side, bringing in interns as often as we can so that, you know, they realize vocational school can lead you to a great career. It, it doesn't have to be a formal four-year education in order to have a great job here in New York State. So, uh, and as people are listening to this, we're always looking, <laughs> we're always looking to, to bring more more people on and, and having a background in not just machining, um, but having a background in um, as an electrician, a, a plumber. Um, those are both important to us uh, as we do installs in breweries or um, you know around the country, we need, we have electricians on our team, we have um, uh, large, you know, HVAC uh, specialists. We have plumbers. We work with a lot of different um, people who went through trade school for different trades and continue to be a huge proponent. 
Yeah. And then what, what, how important is the steel? I, I, I read a mention that, that you guys are, your, your products are made with top quality stainless steel. Um, how, how do you measure that steel is better than another steel? Or Well, we have to trust, trust the certifications that, that they come in with. And that really means um, sourcing them from the right places. So we have, you know, 40 years of experience in sourcing stainless steel. Um, our stainless steel is DeFars rated, um, which basically means that it's non-conflict certified uh, stainless steel. Um, there are certain countries around the world that, that in order to um, get this certification, it cannot come from. Um, and so that just is a, you know, a nice stamp uh, security to make sure that we know we're getting quality materials. Um, we also source a uh, higher quality, not just from where it's from, but we, we use only 304 stainless steel on our tanks. And we actually use 316 stainless steel, which is a little bit stronger. Um, or it, it's actually about the nickel content, but I, I won't get into too many details, um, but it's better for our customers on our plumbing um, so that they can use any chemical, you know, uh, any standard brewing chemical, leave their lines packed overnight. We want to make sure that anything we're providing our customers is is lasting as long as their brewery is going to last. We don't want you to have to come back to us in a couple of years because things are, are wearing out. And, and that just, as Scott said that in the beginning that, you know, he appreciates working with us for the quality. We, we really truly try to use the highest quality materials out there. It doesn't make it easy right now when stainless is so expensive. Um, so when people choose to work with us, uh, we appreciate that they're investing in quality, even during these times when, and stainless steel is not cheap. <laughs> yeah. And then go, going also going back to a few years ago, from what you you got your front hopper tools was already doing, how were you able to just make that jump to making fermenter tanks and and that that first that first job? We owe it all to the people. We have a great team that um started at Fraunhofer Tool and then we decided to break off the engineering team to a new company, um, great people came with us and I, I owe it all to them. Uh, two of them are still on our team to this day. Um, and we really jumped into learning everything we could about the brewing industry. Um, my, myself, my brother and dad who, um, work for our own Fraunhofer tool, they, none of us knew anything about brewing. Uh, we, we relied on our local experts, like our friends here at Indian Ladder, at Common Roots, at Argyle Brewing Company and Greenwich, everyone who uh, chose to work with us in the very beginning when we started to get into craft brewing equipment. We knew what we were doing when it came to engineering, the designs, to fabrication, but they taught us what we needed to know about brewing in order to get the full picture of the equipment that we were making. And it came pretty naturally um, uh, to my team, Dave, who worked really closely on this Indian Ladder project. You know, he didn't know anything about brewing or brewing equipment. And he's now our, our lead engineer and does all of the drawings um, for every system that goes out. Um, ben, another person on our team who actually designed our canning line, he had some background. He was a brewer out in Colorado, uh, which was great. He also you know, helped the team 
make that transition. But we owe it all to our, our customers who worked with us from the very beginning as we were making that transition and our internal team who chose to take that leap and, you know, learn a new skill. Well, that's great. It's still exciting. And I'm, we got a lot more to talk about because uh, I, I think this is a, a wonderful story. So we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Check us out and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. So we got a family reunion here. We're talking with uh, Scott and Dieter from Indian Ladder Farm, Cidery and Brewery, and Melanie from Fraunhofer. So, uh, Dieter, what was your question for Melanie? I wanted to know how the baby is. <laughs> oh, well, he is great. I am currently, I, I'm using air quotes as I say this, on maternity leave because I'm actually, you know, I talk to Dieter or Scott, I feel like every day um, and all my other awesome customers, but it's just because I, I can't get enough of everybody. Um, the baby's great. He is 11 weeks old as of yesterday and he's downstairs with his dad and and I am upstairs drinking uh, a double IPA that Scott and, and Dietrich sent home for me. So you guys are giving me a mom's night out right now. <laughs> Wait, so so which double IPA do you, do you have? Oh, Scott, I don't actually, is it your chronic? Yeah, how do you say that? <laughs> CU2 chronic? Yeah, because of chronic. Yeah, so that. Oh, because of chronic. It looks like, of oh the my cousin, bad. Like, I'm already. Hops are the cousin of chronic. <laughs> I love it. I've already, I haven't had a double IPA in a while. It's been a while since I drank, so I can't even read the label anymore. <laughs> I, I will say, since we're talking beer too, I've actually been really into double IPAs this summer. I'm going to um, join you, Mel. Oh, yeah. Cheers. And then, mm-hmm. Melanie, just tell us who you're married to, because uh, since, since listeners might not know that you, you've got a beer connection. Oh, yes. Yeah, my, my husband, Christian, owns Common Roots. And uh, it makes us one big uh, beer-loving family. That's great. That is awesome. And then, uh, Scott, well, you know, when, when you guys were, were designing the brewery, I kind of want to go back to this because I'm just interested. I'm a geek, but I don't know anything about these systems. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what was a question that, that you would have asked the design team at Fraunhofer 
uh, early on, or was there it just it's just more like wonky, like geeky stuff? <laughs> oh yeah, it's very geeky stuff. Like I was I was asking them on how we can make it more complicated, <laughs> <laughs> and we did, <laughs> and you and you nailed it. So that's all I needed out of that. I was like, can you really do this? All right. So uh, no, a big thing was um, so our new fermenters that we and our bright tank that we have. Uh, those are the first uh, outdoor fermenters that they have made. Um, so I've been trying to get them to do that because we're very low, limited on space up in the uh, in the brewery. Um, so we have all this outdoor room, so we might as well use it. So I decided, like, hey, if we can do this, like if we do uh, like four-inch insulation between the shell and the jacket, I think we'll be all right in the uh, the winter time, you know. But uh, they they've done it. They they did it. And uh, I'm excited to see how she does. Well, yeah, that was um, it's always fun. I love when we do things for the first time. And it, on every, I would say almost every project we do, there's something we do for the first time. And it was the outdoor tanks um, in this project. And it's a whole new level of engineering to design something that has to be outside um, and can withstand upstate New York weather and temperatures. Um so like Scott said, thicker insulation, um, safety, mm-hmm. you know, getting into your, these are big tanks. These are two sixty barrel tanks and a 30 barrel bright, um, being able to access the top of these, um, safety when you're working under the tank in an enclosed space. Um, and like I said, the elements. So there are, there are things that Scott and team are going to have to access outside in the middle of the winter. And so a lot of it was making it, um, not only, just function correctly, um, but safe and operationally just ease of access so that their jobs aren't too hard. So there were some fun challenges and, and I think they turned out beautifully. That's really cool, man. Um, and then how, so how, how close is the system to, to running right now? I know you mentioned it, but I can't uh, remember. Yeah, we're probably, honestly, I would say probably about um, uh, end of July. Middle to end of July, I think we'll be up and running on that system. That is awesome. It's such a great story. And um, I feel like there's something I should be asking you, but I, I can't get my head around it. Uh, I keep thinking about trade schools and what what machining is and how important th- these skills are to all almost every product we have, right? Like in, in industry. I mean – to think that we could live without someone that could weld or plumb or do electrical, right, Melanie? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at this entire project of Indian Ladder building this brewery and and then what they're going to do in that brewery, it requires people who have trade uh, skills. So from the equipment that we designed, um, we have machinists, we have a fabric, you know, welders, a fabrication team, Um, We have people who are assembling these, um, like the canning line, for example, that's in that building. And then when we we get down to the farm, you think about uh, the farmers, um, everybody that works on that farm that has a trade. We were there in Scott and Dietrich work with this great father son team um, that are um, doing a lot of the work in the electric work, plumbing work. Every every day, right, guys, that we talk about this project or we do something, there's a person who has has a trade and the trades are dying and it's sad. And, and anything that we can do to revitalize that and make them make them 
flashy and trendy and exciting again we're here to do yeah it's right right now on the project we have at, at any given day there's like at least uh, anywhere from four to six tradespeople on site doing things i mean there's a lot of the things are very specialized um you know boiler installation is you know a specialized project um uh, all the electrical work this is a very very you know not only is the system custom but the buildings are all very custom and are being customized all the time so you know we have to be able to work with people that are extraordinarily flexible our electrician is is absolutely great we've thrown some amazing curves at him and he's come through i mean everything from the excavator to you know burying the propane tanks on a hill and you know just like all the things that have had to been done and you, know, you, you can't do it without these people yeah we have a uh, we have a crane guy we have a crane guy also uh he's actually been at our brewery a few times uh, he goes by clarence so clarence crane uh so tomorrow he'll be there to uh swing some shipping containers around in front of the brewery for the outer part of our new packaging facility that we're building there, as well as uh, the other military kitchen and the latrine for the beer garden. Yeah, we're very fortunate. We're very fortunate in this area. Not everybody has a crane guy that lives around the corner and that can be there on call. <laughs> well, you, you have a lot of things around you. Uh, I remember the time you were doing grain, you, you had to bring that guy in to, was it to, to threat? What's oh, it called the, when you brings in the grain? What's that? We had to, we had, the yes, combine. We had, our, we had to have our combine on call. Unfortunately, um, he has taken a, a another job, and uh, that's part of the that is actually part of one of the reasons we're not growing barley right now, is because I don't have a combine guy right now. So, <laughs> well, I remember when I was there, it was like you you guys were trying to get the wheat or the grain, the barley harvested before it rained. But then he needed to go get a part somewhere. Remember that day? That wasn't nerve wracking at all. It was, <laughs> These are stories I want you to tell me because <laughs> it's, I bet Peter's yeah, head was flipping. Well, I tell you what I love about Indian. I love Indian lot of farm is that every once in a while a, a friend comes up to me and says, "Oh, I was at this beautiful farm with my family and and they have my favorite cider," and I'd be like, "Oh, is it?" Indian ladder and they said how did you know and then there's someone that spends time in Albany and I know that people will be saying the same thing about your beer when when uh, the new system's up even if they're not already but it, it is quite a story and you I'm you know just to give you a shout out Dieter that you, you your wife is part of a it's a fifth generation uh, farm um, that goes way back over a hundred years and I, I have been fortunate to to have been there before um, how is this new brewery going to impact the, the the tourism and the and the weekends and things? Like what what have you done on on site like to change it? I, I don't. It's been so long for me. Um, tasting rooms, tours, anything new that's going to be. So we took uh, we when we took the three barrel out of the production facility, we turned that into a tasting room. Uh, so we have a much bigger tasting room where where the three barrel was. Um, we've expanded the beer garden uh, as much as we possibly can. And what we're doing now is where the 20 barrel is going is we're putting in a, a much larger beer garden. We're, we're experiencing, you know, crowds now that we just did not anticipate. Um, 
you know, last fall, uh, we were experiencing four hour waits to get, you know, a beer in the beer garden and so on. So we're, we're trying to, uh, essentially we were, we weren't even going to do this beer garden until next year, but we're trying to speed this up as much as possible to try to accommodate the customers that, you know, really start coming to us in August now. Um, we do get a rather large spring rush now, too, because we do have uh, pick your own uh, raspberries and blueberries. So we're getting a lot of people that are coming now to, you know, do the you pick thing. But now that we have the brewery and the cidery, they come and we have hiking trails and they spend all day with us. So uh, we're seeing a lot of families that just kind of come and camp out. And Dieter, you, you guys have always done some really cool collaborations i mean you've always been so so open to coming on beer sessions radio um there was one event you guys did with just brewers it was some kind of brewers camp out or something or did it have something to do with your hop harvest yeah we uh we plan on doing that again in the future it's called uh farming man fest um sort of you know a take on burning man and we we burn a big hop effigy and uh we we try to do it a little different so we We've had like 30 breweries come out um, and uh, cideries and uh, we've had, you know, Mel from front offers come. Uh, we've, we invite our manufacturers. Um, so it's kind of a big brewing cidery industry kind of meet and greet event where the public can come. We, we have the brewers come and we do like not really round tables are really like kind of informal um, meet the brewer to talk about the beer a little bit where you can, you know, come up and talk to them. We have bands and we offer camping. Um, we didn't really, because of COVID last year, we didn't do it obviously. And this year we just didn't know what was going to happen. And, and the event has gotten to the size where you really have to start planning it, you know, in January for an August event. And so we decided, well, we'll take this year off too. And, so we we hope to be back in doing farming farming man for 2022 and then when you have the the new brewery running will you be doing like different kind of collaborations on that system or will you still be using the three barrel system for that uh it really honestly it really depends on uh what kind of beer we want to do if you know we're going to use a whole bunch of whole fruit it's probably easier just to do it on the uh the small system but Chances are, we'll uh, anything that we do on the big system is going to be lager beers or anything like that. It's super um, easy, and we can actually get a, a higher yield on on the output of that. Well, that's great. Hey, um, Melanie, back to the the industry you're in. Um, did you guys try out other things before you started the the brewing systems? Like, had you guys made um, like coffee carts or food trucks or anything like that? Not, well, since um, Fraunhofer Design's inception, we have worked with coffee companies um, like Crew and is a great example here in Saratoga. However, um, we had no intention of creating Fraunhofer Design. It was not a well thought out business plan that we had, you know, strategically been focusing on for years. It truly all was just happenstance. Um a local brewery uh, needed us to come and help check out some tanks that were damaged. And they knew we had experience in stainless steel at our machine and fab shop and asked, hey, well, could you make one of these? And it went from there. We made one and it 
um, actually performed significantly better than their their existing fermenters. Um, National Grid actually came in and compared the efficiencies of the two tanks. And National Grid um, now offers uh, monetary um, incentives to New York state breweries to work with us over, um, less efficient competitors of ours. And so it kind of was like, oh, I guess we're, we have a knack for this. Let, let's keep digging into it. And then it grew into, can you create a whole, you know, people wanted whole systems. They wanted distilling equipment. There was a lot of different local craft beverage makers who were interested in working with someone local. And, and it grew from there and it was sort of, you know, one day at a time, well, I guess we need to put a little bit more emphasis on this side of the business. And and then it became, okay, I guess it needs to be its own business with its own strategy. And it just grew over time. So no, there was no, you know, wealth. I would love to say we had this, <laughs> this great business plan going into it, but where we, we tested different markets and, um, and found our niche here in the, the brewing world, but it all, it, it was a happy happenstance and it's worked out great, but like I said, we have worked with coffee companies, dairy um, farms, yogurt companies, cideries, wineries, um, pretty much any craft beverage maker you can think of. So although we focus on beer brewing uh, equipment, we've done it all. Here's a question for you. I have a feeling that someone else might want to answer this one. One of the cooler, this is, might have been 10 years ago, transformations that I saw was uh, Be United, the importers based in Connecticut, took what had been like some kind of old dairy tanker and turned it into a, 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 a brew transport. So they were basically sending these dairy tanks to like Europe and having the breweries there fill up the, those tanks with beer. Then they were they were brought over and delivered on trucks to Connecticut, and then they were put into kegs there and stuff. Um, it, does that ring? A, does that inspire any of you or ring a bell? I mean, like the similarities between a dairy tank that could be a tanker and, and shipped, and and what it might take in terms of the technology to make that work. Absolutely. Uh, I've actually uh, my when I the time I spent in Belgium, uh, there is a company. Won't say their name. Uh, they. They were making wort and they were putting it into tanker trucks and they were bringing it to another brewery and basically just dumping it right in their cool ship so they can make sour beer. So this main brewery was actually doing wort production and the Lambic style brewery was uh, was making um, uh, sour beer, but they would always do it in the tanker trucks. So there are that. Has, Melanie, has anyone ever come to you with like a repurposed dairy tank to make it into a brewing brewing tank or anything? people come to us all the time to to refurbish equipment and to be honest (laughs) it doesn't always work that great so so we 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 don't always take those projects on um although we're always up for a challenge and we've refurbed a lot of things in the past what we experience most of the time is we you know, it's just better to start from scratch. <laughs> um, and But there's always fun projects out there. And, and Scott was right. There is a brewery in Maine right now that's, um, I think last year, right before COVID, they were putting uh, their beer in fermenters and sending it over on a shipping, um, in a shipping container on a ship to, I think, Iceland. And then the beer was ready to be conditioned when it got there. <laughs> and they were drinking it, having a party and sending their beer back to Maine. Pretty neat. So yeah, you know, the brewing industry is always fun and has some sort of 
there's always a cool idea happening and we'd love to be a part of it. But refurbishing equipment doesn't always go as planned. Uh, it's just one of those things. <laughs> because you always want to think to yourself, it's like, where was that tank before? <laughs> How is it cared for? <laughs> well, to, to, that, to that point, Jimmy, we have a couple of dairy tanks that are sitting in our yard right now that we used to use as um, uh, blending tanks for cider. And, um, and if you're interested, they're for sale. <laughs> you're, not, you're not just going to make them into planters or something? Uh, I don't know what to do. With. I also have a cool ship uh, that is um, uh, from an old cottage cheese tank. And it works. It holds It holds to the brim at six and a half barrels. So, Melanie, is, the big issue is, is that when you're making your things from, from start to finish – you know the quality of the materials, right? That's exactly it. So the few times that we have tried to fix equipment that we didn't make, um, some of the issues that we've run into are um, spider cracking. And so we go to weld onto that, weld, you know, new, cut into that tank and, and weld it or fix it. And it spider cracks, it, it breaks. And that's, that is a clear sign that that is not quality stainless steel or it's not the stainless steel that, the customer thought it they were getting, um, or you run into rust. Rust mm-hmm. does not, you know, stainless steel does not rust, um, and so it wasn't actually the product that that customer thought that they had. So then it becomes really difficult for us to properly fix it and guarantee that they're going to be able to use it the way they want to use it. Um, so you're right; it really just comes down to we don't know what we're working with because. Not everything is what it says it is when it comes to the steel industry. So we would just prefer to make you something from scratch. And if, it, if it's a budget thing, we're always we're always happy to work with anybody. You know, New York State to New York State. I mean, we work with people all over North America, but especially our local New York State customers. We're here to partner with you in any way we can. We'll work with your budget. We'll work with your your operational needs, your facility needs. We'll make it happen. If you want equipment made in New York, you should get equipment made in New York. I, I saw um, our friend at Strong Road Brewery in Brooklyn. I know he's dedicated to using all New York ingredients. I, I saw he was very proud that at his new – he has in Red Hook, Brooklyn, he has a new tasting room. That he mentioned on Instagram that he has a Fraunhofer design um, system there. Uh, I, I thought that was cool because I, I, love, I love Jason's beers. Oh, yeah. Jason makes delicious beers, and now he makes them on a Fraunhofer design system. So we're pretty jazzed up about that. Um, I got connected with Jason. Um, you know, it might have been a little through CBC, but it, I, the first time I met Jason was actually at uh, Indian Ladders Camping Meet the Brewer weekend. Um, so it was a I was going to say he was I was going to say he was at he was at Farming Man. He was at Farming Man. And so, you know, we had heard of each other, but we really got to meet there. And I think that's when when Sparks flew and and we all got really excited about doing this this uh, collaboration of two New York State companies working together. And um, we just delivered that equipment right after we delivered Indian Ladders system. And they're they're getting up and running and finishing off that new beautiful location of theirs. So we're really excited. It's our first system in Brooklyn. Um, not our first tanks in Brooklyn. We, um, we've worked with All Wise Meadery before, but um, our first brewing system in Brooklyn, and we're really excited about that. And 
Jason and the guys at Strong Rope are, are awesome partners. Yeah. Hey, hey Scotty, um, what's a beer that's coming out this summer that is worth me traveling up to Altamont for? Uh, all of them. <laughs> and well, I need some names for the beer list. Come on. Uh, well, I'll probably be bringing back. Uh, I'll be doing another batch of Megaphone Pond Party. It was my social distancing beer. Uh, we, once again, it's it's a Scott name. <laughs> so it's a it's a beer uh, that has hints of like uh, of cannabis and pine and tropical fruit. It's actually really really nice. Uh, what else do I have going on? Uh, there's actually talks of doing a collaboration with John from uh, Dubco, which would be really fun. Um, but yeah, uh, I, so far I've only had my schedule out for uh, three weeks from now. So I don't really know what's going on now. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm, I'm really proud of you. I, I think when uh, I went up, last time I went to Indian Ladder Farm, you were still working at uh, the C.H. Evans in Albany, right? Yep, yep that yeah. is correct. That's what I have. That's one of my little afro. Yeah, but I'm really, I'm really proud of you. You re- you've really grown uh, together, and I think Dieter, that this is amazing that you guys finally have the the new brew system coming online. Um, I can't wait to. I don't know. Do, do you think there'll be extra beer to to send out in New York City, Dieter, or are you guys going to still keep drinking it all all upstate? We're pretty thirsty. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. We're we've got a we're very thirsty up here. Um, it's been a dry COVID, and I don't know how much we're going to get downstate, but uh, we're hoping to get some superstar down there. Maybe some trip to the hardware store. Maybe some Indian Lager Farms. You should be seeing those things. We're hoping. Um, by the uh, end of the summer, you're definitely going to be starting to see more of our cider down there. We're making a big push um, into New York City. Um, we are going to be um, at the new distillery on Great Jones and Broadway that's opening up here in a few weeks. Uh, they'll be carrying their um, our cider, and they're probably going to be the first place to in Manhattan to carry our beer when we have it. So be be looking for that. Wow, that's going to be great, man. You guys have been special friends, and I and I always love working with you guys. And uh, I definitely miss being in the studio with you because I always have some of my mo- my most fun episodes with you. Uh, but I appreciate you taking the time to work with us on this remote program on Heritage Radio Network. Yeah, I can't believe I can't believe you haven't been up here since Scott worked at C.H. Evans. You're you're being very tardy. You need to come visit. Yes, yeah, on Please my come, list, for Jimmy. Sure. <laughs> No, it's one of the special. I, okay, now I was looking at upcoming events and things. So you have a Renaissance Fair coming to the farm. Yes, we've been doing the Renaissance Fair. This will be the sixth year. We normally do it in June. Um, it's going to be uh, in August this year. Uh, we're also doing two Oyster Fests. We've got one coming up on July 10th and then another one in November. And then in October, we do our ever popular Hawaiian Oktoberfest, which I believe Scott's making a special beer for that this year um, in collaboration with the uh, Swinging Palms. Scott, what any uh, clues as to what that beer will be? Well, I just I just talked about it with uh, the uh, the bass or the guitar player uh, yesterday, and uh, it's probably going to be a pineapple IPA, possibly a pineapple sour. Made from all the pineapples that we'll use to make stein apples. 
Yes, we do make some pineapples for the event. We we hollow out a pineapple and serve your beer in it. Oh, I see. A pineapple. <laughs> All right. And then are, are you are you guys doing any? Do you do a fresh hop beer, or you just use the the hops and everything? Uh, la- last year I did a fresh hop beer. Um, I think I did it with uh, Columbus and Centennial. Uh, right after we pulled them off of the, uh, the right after out of Heidi, um, and they were in the dryer. They just went right on the conditioning floor. I literally just went up with with buckets and just filled up everything while everyone's eating hot dogs. And it's like, man, this is a good day. And it's like, cool. Well, I'm going to grab all this stuff and I'm going to go back up to the brewery and put some hot wort on this. And that actually turned out really nice. I would usually in the summertime, uh, or around hop harvest, you can actually see that it, cause with, uh, our beer trailer, that's a rotating hop series, but in right around hop harvest time, that's usually when trailer becomes wet hop, wet or, uh, fresh hopped. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So the so the difference between wet hop and fresh hop. Scott and I are not really enamored of uh, of wet hop beers because they 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 tend to taste a little vegetably and and you can't really the consistency is not really theirs. But because of our situation, that we can take hops directly from our hop yard and get them picked within twenty minutes and in the dryer, um, you know, as soon as they're picked. We can we can make a beer with the freshest, dry, you know, stable hops that you can possibly get. So we, we have that advantage that a lot of other breweries do not have. And how many acres of hops do you have now? Uh, we're at, we're still at two and a half. So, you know, it's not a huge uh, uh, planting of hops. Uh, we're going to be expanding out to five, and that will be uh, pretty much to make sure that we have – uh, redundancy for the 20 barrel. Wow. So there's so much going on. This is really great. I miss you guys. Um, Dieter, one of the shows I did with you and Laura was when your East Coast Hop Growers Handbook came out. Um, and you guys have also introduced me to Dr. Paul. <laughs> um, Sorry. One of the top, we apologize top for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that was great. Uh, that, I, I, no, he no, cleared out I the room. He cleared out the <laughs> studio. <laughs> We we tease Dr. Paul, but we love him. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'll make a toast here right now. I'm, I'm drinking a, a nightshade, a night shift. Excuse me, night shift. Uh, New England double IPA called the Jimmy. Buzz. Don't drink nightshade; it's poison. <laughs> <laughs> nightshade, and I'm yeah. I, I feel like it's the summer. I don't know if it's summer goes a summer lager. Right now, I feel like it's the summer of the double IPA. Um, Maybe that's just how I feel about how happy I am to be back out in the world. So <laughs> cheers yeah. to the summer of double IPA. Mm-hmm. And Melanie, congratulations to you. Hello to your husband and baby. Congratulations. And um, this has been a really interesting show. There's always more to talk about, but definitely a big shout out to the, to the trades. And don't forget how important they are and trade schools, because uh, I'd say without that, you guys wouldn't be making your world-class brewing systems here in New York, right? Absolutely. We, we couldn't do it at, without our tradesmen and we hope to continue to promote the trades throughout New York state and cheers to you guys. Thanks for having me on. I, I also miss seeing you, Jimmy, in person and uh, Scott and, and Dietrich. I'll, I'll probably see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll probably see you next week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> COVID hasn't stopped us. <laughs> so, Andy and Le- All right. So Scott, use your best voice. So tell me again, wh- where is your brewery located? And what's the name of the brewery? Uh, we are Indian Ladder Farm Cidery and Brewery at 342 Altamont Road in Altamont, New York. 
outside of Albany. <laughs> you guys are the great. Scott, Dieter, and Melanie, thanks for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our uh, engineer, Armin Spingen, and our assistant producer, Caroline Fox. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Thank you. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.